Greetings Grapple fans and welcome to the final instalment, we are going to go on the assumption that is probably the case, of let me tell you something's original recipe rerun the rivalry, the podcast series in which myself, your let me tell you something co-host Lorcan Marlon and your other let me tell you something co-host Simon Cross, discuss every match of the singles variation that have taken place since the year 2010 between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. And what's the reason for me suggesting this may very well be the final episode of this series, Simon? It is Kazuchika Okada's announcement that he is leaving New Japan for a destination which is as yet in the public domain undetermined. I I, I estimate he's signed some deal somewhere, but... We don't know. We have strong suggestions, but we don't know where he's going to end up. Well, now people are wondering if you're on the inside track, Simon, and your vague allusions to destination unknown might suggest that he's going to become the fourth member of the Social Outcasts. <laughs> no! Obviously on about uh, Kazuchika Okada's future destination, and some people are theorising he might end up in NXT 2.0, which would be wild. Well, those people are Brian Danielson. but yes this isn't his farewell match which i originally thought was what it was being booked for between the time of this being recorded and it being released i think they might he might have already wrestled those two extra 10-man tag matches he'll be participating in against members of the united empire who recently lost their leader in will osprey but obviously, with the assumed location of Okada, like Osprey being AEW, it's not a guarantee that there is as much finality to all these events as originally speculated. Well, yeah, which is why when you did your intro, I thought you were going to go for a bit of a Ron Burgundy vibe. I'm Ron Burgundy, the <laughs> final match. I do think that if this match shows anything, though, it's that everyone involved is aware that there's not much more artistic capital to be spent in these two men trying their best to have the best match that they can. Because this is the shortest match they've had except for the original match. And I would argue it's the worst match they've had. Maybe even including that original match. Now, their bottom is many people's tops. Not in that way, you dirty bastards. <laughs> the worst match that Okada and Tanahashi can have is probably better than what the majority of wrestlers can have amongst each other that aren't Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah. But what's funny with this match watching it is what stuff they don't do as well as what stuff they do. By which I mean there are things like, I was wondering if they do a little homage to their original match and that they then referenced when they had their first match in this location of Osaka when Okada made his big comeback and shocked the world by winning the IWGB Heavyweight Championship of first time of trying against Hiroshi Tanahashi and then in the subsequent rematch at Dominion Tanahashi winning the belt back from Okada but we don't get that extended headlock period at the start where one of them claps on a headlock and just grinds their opponent down to show their dominance. That was Tanahashi at the start in the first few matches. Then Okada, I think, did it at least a couple of times to Tanahashi in return. Nor is there any extended limb work from Tanahashi. He doesn't go after Okada's knee and mess it up or after his arm and mess it up. Nor, on the other end of the scale, does Okada go on the outside and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, when they go, he goes, he drop kicks Tanahashi to the outside and then he just 
lets it come back into the ring and engage just in the ring, basically. Except for Tanahashi's still required high fly flow to the outside. Yeah, I was reading up Dave Meltzer's review of it. And he said that's now no longer an awe-inspiring look at the lengths that he will go to and a big spot. It's just a fear-inducing, oh, God, is he going to get hurt? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true, Dave, but we don't need to hear it. I even suspect that the only reason it goes over 15 minutes is that that means that Okada doesn't beat the NJPW television champion within the time limit set within those title (laughs) matches. Yeah, I, I can completely understand that. Now, when you mentioned the drop kick to the outside and Okada like not going after him, in previous episodes of the Five Star Project, quite recent previous episode of the Five Star Project, when we've talked about Okada changing his in-ring attitude slightly, we, we've argued, is he Americanizing it? And that could be an example there of like, well, look, I'm in charge of the ring. I don't need to go after you and beat up my grand rival. I'm just going to soak in, I guess there's some booze at some point with how Okada behaves. But there are loud, like, back and forth chants at the start. So he's soaking in the atmosphere. Mm. It's very much like his leaving party. I don't need to go after him. I've clearly outlined how superior I am. So I'm not worried. There's no semblance of hatred between the two at all at this point. They've been six-man mm. tag champions together for the past yeah. year and a bit, and they're about to vacate those, or at least Okada's vacating his third of the title. Yeah, because they make that clear on commentary. Now, is President Tanahashi trying to consolidate power <laughs> with the belts? Yeah, there's no animosity really in any of the actions of this match. Even when, as we said, Okada surpassed Tanahashi and in more recent matches has been so clearly the superior wrestler and that's how they've portrayed it from that point onwards. Even back then he was still having a bit of fun taunting him, doing like a a pose with his foot on his chest or mocking Tanahashi. There's none of that in this match. He's just respectful to almost to a fault because of that lack of spite and that lack of urgency. And obviously this also being for nothing, not for a title, not for a number one contendership. It's not a G1 match. It's not a New Japan Cup match, although I don't think they've ever actually wrestled each other in the New Japan Cup. Is this the only match since Okada's farewell excursion match that is for nothing? That there's nothing on the line? That it's just the fifth match on the card of a seven or eight match card? I think so. Because I'm, I'm racking my brain for obviously because we've covered all the singles matches as part of the series. And we've I can't remember us talking about the New Japan Cup at any point. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is the most no-stakes match there is. Because even when Okada did his farewell for excursion match, it's like to show something, to show who Okada can be. Like, I'm, I've am i graduated the dojo, and there may be something to me. We know who Okada is now. Yeah, and also for a point of comparison for when he does come back, and when he did come back, he immediately challenged Tanahashi, and then not wiped the floor with him, but certainly shocked him with his abilities and his ruthlessness doing the tombstone on the outside. It's just almost like a almost procedural at the end with how he puts him away, with the one exception of just Tanahashi is even more physically limited than he ever was before, to the point that it's getting quite, not sad, but... War- I mean, you predicted that this would be his retirement year, which I don't think is... Was a wise prediction on your part, but I wasn't about to stop you making that mistake. <laughs> well, you've applied that mantra to so many of my predictions, and yeah. in some levels, quite rightfully. <laughs> well, they speak for themselves. The 
the basic premise in in Japanese wrestling is can you move? Yeah, well, we can probably still get a match or two out of you. Yeah, but not many people are also president of the company as well. Well, as I was saying, Tatsumi Fujinami is still wrestling. Not very often, but he's still wrestling. <sighs> Kijimuto basically kept walking just as an excuse to keep wrestling. And that is, you would assume, the place that Tanahashi's going to go to in the future, that he is going to be more mat-focused. I mean, does he do anything other than the high-fly flow to the outside? And maybe Okada's the one person that he will do dives to the outside to and anymore. And now Okada's going, he's like, well, I'm never going up there. Well, no, to be fair, I've seen times when he was in AEW and he climbed to the top rope and it was always quite nerve-wracking. Just that sense of he's not comfortable up there anymore. His match against MJF had a particularly notable, like, sort of slip. And I think they had to point out Excalibur doing his best to point out, well, the ring the ring is differently built, mm. um, such and such. But I do remember going into that match against MJF, like, okay, he's not at his athletic peak, but he still is like pure babyface in the New Japan world, going against MJF in peak scumbag mode. How are they going to do this? And I, I, I felt a bit let down. <laughs> yeah, even in Okada's farewell, there's still a sense that the crowd will always love Tanahashi, whereas I think crowds are in awe of Okada. It's funny how you get like a little moment in like um, a match that just shows you not how far we've done for, but why the end is near. Although weirdly, it's for this match, not so much a wrestler or even Hiroshi Tanahashi, because as I said, I'm, I would expect Tanahashi to still be going into the ring on a semi-regular basis well into the 2030s. But there's a point in this match where he's meant to go over a high fly flow, and I think it was Tanahashi that screwed it up. And how often have you seen a screw-up in an Okada-Tanahashi match? Yeah. Once or twice in the past? But that one was so first-year indie wrestlers awkward of them just standing there not quite sure what to do. And another one of those signs, like how when Ric Flair in his quote-unquote retirement match with Shawn Michaels couldn't do the classic stand-up from a, you know, bridging stand-up pinning him. That was always one of those, like, fundamental... Look at the athleticism of these guys that he can just come up to his feet so easily and just Flair couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Or his second proper retirement match where he was literally having a heart attack for most of the match. There, there will be a day when we have to cover that for match of the week, I'm, I'm sure. Morbid curiosity will get the better of me, but I've not seen it and I really don't intend to. With our rerun the rivalry, the two seasons we've done so far, we're in a space where now... We have had the it's very obvious they're going farewell match or very obvious one person's going farewell match anyway. Now, when we with the McGuinness Danielson series, it's because they were moving on and they were both athletically at their peak at the time. And it it sort of flowed like storyline wise, whereas we've had the peak and the finish of the main story. There is a reference to it in that moment when Okada's holding on to the wrist. He's maintaining wrist control. 
He still knows yeah. it. And the fact that Tanashi, despite all of his physical failings at this point, still wants to hit a high flow flow on Okada, and Okada's able to get the knees up. And again, because Tanahashi yeah. hasn't been able to target his knees, it doesn't really affect Okada. But also the fact that Okada, more than anyone, still knows how to evade the Rainmaker. Yeah. Because he does it a couple of times in this match. He does a small package, which is the last, like... Because Okada... You're thinking Okada might lose this match, because usually you lose on your way out. And that was the one and only believable we could have given Tanahashi a, a win moment in that match. Tanahashi deserved to be Okada's last opponent, even though he's not the guy that's going to get the best match out of Okada. But that's what we've got to focus on here. It's just still things like Tanashi's physique is just increasingly... Like, the man on his back almost is starting to have those love handles. And yeah. Tanahashi with lo- love handles just doesn't seem right. We love Tanahashi so much that we can barely handle it. But we don't want to see the literal... <laughs> yep. It's sad. It, not sad, but we shouldn't really treat this as a wrestling match, even though it was one. Because unless you're completely knackered, when you retire in wrestling, you retire via, like or leave via wrestling. You leave via a wrestling match, and then like so there's either speeches afterwards or an angle. And this is this is this is to get us to the speeches. That's the way I see it. Really. Although they don't actually do any speeches in this match. <laughs> no, they do like the the hug afterwards and like the respect thing, which. I guess for them is all you need. Yeah. That would have meant more if they'd have continued to hate each other over the years. They've basically been buds for the best part of the five or six years now at this point in regular tag team partners. I'm disappointed we never got that tag team title run out of the two of them, which was something I basically predicted from the moment they first tagged with each other around 2019-ish time, I think. But that's New Japan and its tag division, though. Yeah, but that's the thing, because it's so pointless. It's like, oh, you really need to save Bishimon? They need to be protected that badly? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It could have been the shot in the arm. Are we really meant to believe, like, a half-crocked Tanahashi and a barely can be bothered any time he's involved in a match involving tag teams? Okada still wouldn't beat the shit out of Goto and Yoshihashi in a tag team match. Yeah. But that, again, that's just the weird isolationist nature of the tag division in New Japan, really. Well, you know, it's, it's it's a proper, like, you know what? I have a ball thing for Yoshihashi <laughs> <laughs> to keep him occupied because <laughs> he can't do Ah, uh, you, go, you go play over there. Ah, I don't care. I'm too horrible to Yoshihashi. He's a nice guy. <laughs> it is funny, yeah. though, to think of what part he's played in that story him being the guy that okada wrestles and everyone's like well okada ain't worth shit still what a great learning excursion that was he does a bloody 1960s tv tribute act in tna and now he's got these stupid dyed eyebrows (laughs) the the well is so poisoned from him playing that guy that that we're not working with tna anymore sod that And then a month later, he has the first of matches that sets up definitely a top 10 all-time rivalry feud. Maybe New Japan's artistic peak. And that's saying something for all the things New Japan has achieved over the years. If you would say your top 10 rivalries, especially in the modern era, like if we go 83, 84 onwards, then you've got to have Von Erich's Freebirds, I think. You've got to have Hogan Andre. You've got to have Austin McMahon. You gotta have, I guess, have WCW versus NWO. You gotta have Masawa Kawada and maybe Masawa Kabashi. 
but definitely in that conversation, maybe genuinely not just top ten, but maybe number one has to be considered Okada versus Tanahashi. Mm. Basically, I'm not trying to start of a conversation. What is the top ten? I'm just saying that top ten's going to have this match in it. Oh yeah, these matches in them. And as you say, this is like the epilogue. I mean, this is barely even an epilogue. This is the acknowledgements page. <laughs> Post credit scene. I was going to go for but... not really. But like you say, we could be, you know, years from now, Forbidden Door 4, Forbidden Door, as I like to call it, we could, they could just for the sake of it, just give us another Okada Tanahashi match. No, I think when you said earlier, vaguely alluding to that, where's the artistic value? I, I don't see the artistic value in doing it again. Sometimes it might just be a case of literally everyone else is injured. I mean, they they spent those last three or four Tanahashi Okada matches mostly as like a touring circuit act, like a greatest hits thing medley, because they did it in America at least twice in that run. And I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd have tried to do it in the UK if they'd have felt the need to. That was all it was really worth anymore. I think maybe that. But if you would say like the five peak points of the Okada Tanahashi match, maybe it's like Okada winning it the first time. Tanahashi making Okada cry, Okada finally maintaining risk control, but I think definitely in that top five, even though it was really the start of the matches that didn't mean much of anything, was them having the match in Houston for the G1, the opening night of the G1, and the crowd just cheering at the bell. This crowd of Americans who obviously maybe 0.1% of them had seen an Okada-Tanahashi match live before then. That was the match that had brought them to that point. It wasn't a full arena, but it was a lot more full than New Japan would be able to achieve now. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we were saying, like, Danielson McGuinness, that Danielson has been the greatest opponent of many people, but maybe McGuinness is Danielson's greatest opponent. Yes. Okada and Tanahashi have both had great opponents, but I do think they will... I'm sure there will be some people who will argue for Omega for Okada and Osprey for Okada. And maybe some people will argue Nakamura for Tanahashi. But to me, I don't think it's a, I still don't think there's a question to it that it's Okada's greatest opponent will always be Tanahashi. And Tanahashi's greatest opponent will always be Okada. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can fully see that. For me, it's literally a tightrope between Omega and Tanahashi for Okada. That, that's where I'm at. The only point that I would say with Omega is that that series lasted 18 months. This went on for 14 years. Yeah, true, true. That's, I think, as far as I want to go with the match. It's really just a procession. Okada hits a drop kick, Tombstone, goes for the Rainmaker. Tanahashi gets in with that small package, that one last thing, and that just one thing that maybe the one thing Tanahashi always will have over Okada is the brains. And maybe even more the perseverance to keep trying to win. Yeah. Because I always thought it was a great, unintentional, great way to pay off Omega's departure. That Tanahashi still had that fire within him to take down Omega. Whereas Okada, when he suffered his loss to Omega, just became the glorious creation that was Kokada. (laughs) (laughs) And that sign again that maybe Tanahashi is and always will be mentally stronger than Okada ever was. But Okada's just so gifted, he doesn't even need to be that mentally strong. He will overcome his, like... I won't say mental weaknesses. He'll overcome his slight deficiency compared to Tanahashi due to his ability. Yeah. Yeah. And that was there right through to the end. And again, if maybe the right finish should have been Tanahashi surprising him with that inside cradle. Maybe that should have been 
the proper finish. But, and a lot of people are complaining about Okada not putting anyone over on his way out. But I do think New Japan are like, it doesn't mean anything if he does it other than we just need to put this guy over. And then it's like, who was... It's like it's too you know, transparent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, Kobashi did have to lose the GHC title eventually. But him losing it to Takeshi Rikio, because it was just, it was two years, didn't make it feel like... You know, have you heard of Takeshi Rikio, Simon? Nope. Yep. And I might not have even pronounced it correctly. It might be Rikiko. That's my point. Just, just giving someone that win doesn't mean that it's going to be a win that means anything. And we're seeing a uh, situation which hopefully gets paid off in the right way now in the WWE. So a lot of listeners will obviously be seeing... We'll be able to understand this literally in real time. And we might have to talk about it. Who knows for the five-star project? Who ever knows with Meltzer now? I mean, he gave this match four stars, which I wouldn't go that far. There's no way this goes to the four-star point. It barely goes to the three-and-a-half-star rating for me, if that's... Yeah, I mean, by their own bar, like you say, yes. it's, it's it's nothing remarkable. Oh yeah, by the, by their own bar, this is like Bradshaw and Trish Stratus against Chris Nowinski and Jackie Gaida. Or, or, or maybe more appropriately, it's uh, The Undertaker versus Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. Oh, bloody hell! Let's not say things we can't take back, Jesus. I've always said we don't like doing the date stuff, especially because so much of what we're saying now could be redundant within the week. I mean, the assumption I think everyone's making is that that big business show in Boston, it's obviously going to be the debut of Mercedes Monet, but the business element of it does also suggest the Rainmaker could also, and Boston's a great market to debut him in as well. A friend of mine's also suggested maybe we get, here comes the money! No! Although, no. no. <laughs> I tried to talk myself into any redeeming feature in real time and I couldn't do it. If you were Okada, where would you go? And as a fan, where would you want Okada to go? I'd be a money man. This is purely if I was Kazuchika Okada. Artistically, I'd look at my body of work and I'd be quite more than satisfied so what contract is on the table how hard will i have to work what's the schedule basically is a big factor what's fresh and new to do AEW does have a lot of fresh people it also has a lot of people where the story's not so fresh wwe has a lot of like fresh people and potential but then it's like what creative freedom do i want how do i want to express myself i'd probably go AEW because i think my style would be complimented more there i think i could probably get a bit more out of tony khan than i could get out of triple h and i would work less dates so that is putting me in his shoes my train of logic i think over time you would make more money in the wwe but it might not be that his downside is as good as tony khan's but the residuals, the bonuses, the merch sales, and the endorsements that he could probably find will be more prevalent in being a ex-WWE wrestler. And also, I do think that they will present him strongly. Not just because they want to put the finances into it, but because Triple H will care more. I don't even think they would feel the need to put him in NXT. I really don't. I think that they would have that... I mean... Okada doesn't know how to work to the hard camp. Fuck it. What is the Rainmaker pose other than yeah. the ultimate hard camp work? So I don't buy that argument. 
I do think that they will want to mould his style of wrestling, but he will have Nakamura there to help him with that as well. Oh, yeah. And I do think WWE will be better at finding ways to keep him feeling special and looking special and presenting him better than AEW will. Because whilst I do think Tony Khan loves and respects Okada and will push him to the moon immediately, I do also think he'll run out of ideas a lot quicker. And if we want to just bring up the social outcasts, how big a deal was Soraya Knight when she signed and where is she now? Which is more of a comparison I want to make with Mercedes Monet. Mm. I just feel like you're diluted as a star if you go to AEW and you fall out of favour. But I agree with you, he'll probably be allowed to be more himself, wrestle more his style, but he will still have to change it up. I would assume if he comes to AEW, it seems more likely than not that the place you put him is either the superstar ultimate guy, like their version of Brock Lesnar, like the ultimate final boss, or you have him turn up and be the surprise heel partner for a new trio with the Young Bucks, because they have their famous history with each other. As, like, essentially, the Young Bucks were best mates with Okada whilst they were both in TNA, and that's what led to the Young Bucks joining New Japan, which led to the Young Bucks becoming a part of Bullet Club, which led to Bullet Club's continued expansion, both with the Young Bucks and the Young Bucks with them, to the point that we get to AEW. It probably is genuinely the case that if the Young Bucks hadn't been really nice to Okada whilst he was a young learner in TNA, AEW as we know it wouldn't exist at this point. It's weird to think that... It is the ripple effect. But I do think that if I was Okada, I would go for the WWE. He's still relatively fresh. He's 36. I'm sure he can take the extra dates and the physical expectations for him outside of those pay-per-view matches will not be that high. Yeah. How would you present Okada in WWE if you were them? Because I have my ideas. Well, can I? Shall I give you mine before you think of yours? Yeah, go on, go on. Because if you've got something pre-baked, let's go. I would have him debut at WrestleMania and be the guy to beat Gunther for the Intercontinental Title, and then have him just have a run with the Intercontinental Title similar to Gunther's. Have it go on for maybe a year of him just having these great in-ring matches with a variety of wrestlers coming out victorious, and you can build him through his matches and for his mouthpiece because I do think he needs a mouthpiece. Definitely in WWE. Maybe less so in AEW. And also, to be fair to WWE, they've done cool stuff with Nakamura in recent months to make it work. With him doing a combination of promos in Japanese, pre-recorded. But that fits more with the Nakamura weird out there character. Like, when Nakamura signed for WWE in 2016, it felt like, yeah, this version of Nakamura that we've had for the past few years works within a WWE environment okada's more sports-based presentation that he is just a great wrestler and that's mostly all he has to do yeah he's a great wrestler who just knows how great a wrestler he is <laughs> that's the gimmick is <laughs> a is a little bit harder to translate and that's why i would give him a mouthpiece but i would not go down the route i think everyone assumes give him paul Heyman, make him a paul Heyman guy especially if Brock Lesnar's not going to be around. You make Okada his new Brock Lesnar and use him more sparingly. I would not give him Paul Heyman. Because Paul Heyman, it just has too much attached to it. And I feel like that'd be another Cesaro situation. Mm. I would give Okada MVP. Okay. Because he works within that look, suited businessman. It's his own super athlete gimmick and the bling and everything that he had when he debuted almost fits in with you. I'm not saying now give Okada MVP's old bodysuits, 
but I'm saying the image works. MVP loved Japanese wrestling. He based most of his style on Japanese wrestling and had a run in New Japan. So you can even play up that he's known Okada all these years. And it was him that negotiated Okada for the contracts that he signed for WWE. You can either put him as an ancillary friend of Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits, or you can have them be just completely separate. You can have it be that they're on two different brands and MVP's just able to turn up on both brands. On one, he's the Bobby Lashley Street Profits guys, and on the other one, he's Okada's guy. And he's a good talker. I think he can be like a similar Gado-like mouthpiece and ringside voice of, like, energy. And I think it would just be... I think they would look good together. I think they would look better together than Okada with Paul Heyman. Okay. I have an idea. It's not as fleshed out as yours, because I've, I've done it a bit on the hoof. I'm going to slightly, slightly tweak your start. I'm going to go Raw after WrestleMania. And I'm going to have Drew have done... Drew McIntyre's won his match at WrestleMania. Like, whoever it's against. And he's like, you know, continuing his justified, bitter, twisted Scotsman, angry Scotsman vibe. He wins his match at WrestleMania. Next night on Raw, he's not he's not on. I don't I don't want Drew on on purpose on the next on the Raw after WrestleMania. But Okada debuts and then you can have Drew go, "Well, I've just done it at the grandest stage. I've done everything I've said I was going to do. You've sent an idol that, that the internet loves and look, he's gone packing. Well, I told you he weren't any good. And now look, oh, this 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 guy from Japan's turned up. What, where's my accolades? Where's my spotlight? And you can just have bits of Drew go after Okada. You can do that, but then you just, you'd have to feed Drew to him. And now, look, like, they fed Rollins to Cody Rhodes, and it didn't hurt him. Yeah, there's ways of doing that. There's ways of doing it, but part of the reason that helped, that worked was then Cody was gone for ages, so Seth Rollins just had to pick up the pieces afterwards anyway. Uh, you can do it. It's always that worry of, like, who'd you put them up against? It's like, they've done it again, AEW. They debuted Diana Parazzo. Who do they put her up against? Tony Storm. How many times are you going to do this with Britt Baker and fucking Jay Cargill? Bring someone out and then have them lose immediately to your pet project. If they do the same with Mercedes Monet, for fuck's sake, what are we even doing here? Yeah, they, they can't have Monet and Storm touch. While Storm has the title, they can't. They just can't. They will. But my point is just... That's the worry I have with AEW. I'll tell you who I would definitely plug Okada against in AEW. Because I do think this is the guy that he could do as close to his... If he'd gone to New Japan, I think Kanosuke Takeshita is almost the most perfect fit for what could have been the Okada to Okada's Tanahashi. Say if they'd have picked up Takeshita at an early age from DDT like they did with Okada. Takeshita physically kind of match up pretty well. Takeshita is the closest thing to like a Kenny Omega-esque wrestler, so you'd think you could get stuff out of Okada that would work along those lines. Yeah. I don't just want us to see Okada Osprey immediately. I think Okada Moxley wouldn't go and miss. Well, they're definitely going to do that. No, Well, Moxley knows how to work New Japan style enough. The style can transition if you want to transition the style, or if you want Okada to do his style differently. Moxley can plug into that. Moxley's basically loss-proof now. Yeah, yeah. So it's a safe pair of hands. Obviously, you can then tease part three with Danielson because of the Blackpool Combat Club connection. So you've got a, you've got a way out as well. Yeah, and Okada Castagnoli is definitely a match that has to happen. Oh yeah. At the time, I expected it to be that Castagnoli might be the guy that AEW very regularly loans out to New Japan as part of their deal because Castagnoli in New Japan just works. 
But I don't know, man. New Japan, this is going to be a weird year for them. And it'll be interesting to see if they stick with AEW, how they use Okada going forward. Because I wonder if you do it where... He's got a little storyline going on with either Shota Umino or all those guys, but he's just this constant spectre that looms over and then just, like Thanos, and he just turns up for the Avengers events, yeah, which are the Wrestle Kingdom matches against them. Because AEW, I think, will be happy, because they can book it, it's like, fine, book our signed guy to win three matches, and then they get to win one at the end of it. <laughs> but the way New Japan books it that works though because they're saying oh coming out of this it's 953 okada not including the excursion match i think uh, yeah but there's a reason that works it's not like tanahashi was always the inferior throughout at all so again it's one of those things where just utter parity in in win loss records doesn't have to mean that much i think it meant more in the indication of how danielson and mcginnis were presented but i don't think the 953 doesn't tell the complete story of what it's when those when it's what yeah yeah it's, came it's and where and where they were as well tanashi's still two and one against okada at wrestle kingdom but look, look, you could always tell that story like maybe he carries the banner for AEW and tries to write that wrong look there's there there is either pathway he picks there is a myriad of options although i do think both ones is going to be a tougher job for them to present okada in the way the new japan presented him and i think it will also watching those matches will also i think especially if they happen in the wwe for a lot of people will make you pine for the okada of the tanahashi matches but to be fair a lot of people have been pining for that okada for a couple of years now and i've said my theory that maybe okada is the ultimate carry job in wrestling mm. i'm not going to r- rake over those coals again we've got episodes where we go about it but maybe the greatness of these okada matches are because of the greatness of tanahashi more than they are because of the greatness of okada we're about to see and the greatness of omega and the greatness of naito and yeah especially if we see him against Takeshita, maybe that is when we'll see yeah him against darby allen that's gonna be interesting okada used to always say that when he'd make fun of rocky romero <laughs> he said, I can't do the Rainmaker on you. You have the perfect the weapon to avoid it. You're five foot seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Okada Hangman, I've, I've read on the internet, they've only fought once, for example. So that's there. Okada Swerve. Okada Copeland? I mean, it's there. Yeah. What's Okada's family situation like? Now, I've seen other <laughs> podcasts ask this question. Is Okada's dad alive? <laughs> <laughs> Like, the way, the streak that Christian's on at the minute, I want it. <laughs> I'd like to see, I see it would be a good match early on in the run. Okada versus Big Bill. That'd be interesting. Okada Starks, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's one of those things where the size of those guys maybe comes at a bit more of a disadvantage. Yeah. I think whoever the first guy is, regardless of promotion, has to have mic skills. But if we have any match that matches the quality of the best matches that we've covered for this series, then we're going to get some of the greatest matches of all time. Yeah. Remains to be seen. What doesn't need to be seen anymore, though, is... Or what will not be seen anymore, probably, is Okada and Tanahashi locking up one-on-one again. Until some big retirement match sometime in the near distance. I bet you Okada will retire before Tanahashi. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen, isn't it? (laughs) I can't see him going down the Fujinami or Kijimuto route. I can't see Okada doing that. Or the Tenru routes. Because that's the thing. Like, as much as I say how much Tanahashi's body is upsetting to look at in comparison to what he used to look like. I mean, he's no Tenru. Good yeah. lord. 
what that man was carrying around for the last 10 years or so of his career. Yeah, and also Okada, uh, is his wife's quite famous as well. Like, there's money there. He's not struggling. But I think it's because everyone's saying that, oh, we won't leave Japan because his wife's an actor. But it's that she's mostly a voice actor. So that doesn't really need to be location-specific, I would have thought, anyway. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Jobs are good. My guess is they will have a studio system set up in wherever it is they move to that will put our recording situation to shame. But then again, CB radios in the 1970s put our (laughs) recording studios to shame. Yeah. Are him and Nakamura, like, buddies in real life? Because I imagine whoever he moves... Whatever promotion he moves to, he moves to be close to Nakamura, I would. If I, if I got on with Nakamura, I'd be like, I know him. I, 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 there's someone around I know, <laughs> you know? Everybody's gone surfing. Surfing the USA. Also, if he moves to uh, LA, he could get in touch with some of these other Japanese magazines. Because that's, I think, one of the other things that WWE might try and do with the presentation of Okada. Just basically say, this is the Otani of wrestling. And then some people go, oh, I think you'll find Shinjiro Otani is the Otani of wrestling. Yeah. But you get where I'm coming from, don't you? Yeah, and look, it's nice that we're having this conversation without having to worry about what Vince McMahon would have done to him. Yep, and let's not even bother talking more about Vince McMahon. Let's just talk one last time about the greatness of this story. Maybe the greatest series of matches in wrestling history. I mean, and I've said before, there are two matches in 2003 at Sumo Hall. Invasion Attack, I think the first one is, and... King of Pro Wrestling are two of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. The match they had, the Dominion match in Osaka, I assume at this venue, is also one of an amazing. That was one. That was probably Tanahashi's greatest triumph, I think. Just that sense of he was, he had to be, he was bludgeoned, and you know he basically built his body to that of an Adonis for yes. that match. <laughs> he hit the gym hard. I mean, do you have a favorite match or moment? I think the one where Okada's like so on top and. He makes it a point of, I'm going to break the record against you. Because <laughs> that sums up the rivalry. Yeah. And it's a really good match. But it's the fact that it's the Michael Jordan quote. Yeah, I have a lot of dollars, but I want your dollar. <laughs> yeah, in the first few years of the rivalry, it was about Okada trying to vanquish Tanahashi and get him away from him. Yeah. And then all the matches since then have been Okada's requests to have them. Yeah. Like showboating, making a point of it. Not just showboating, I think it's just like, this is him at his happiest, weirdly, being in the ring with Tanahashi. I'm sure Roy Keane enjoyed football the most when he was playing against Arsenal. Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for this one. For the next episode of Let Me Tell You Something, it is the start of our newest major project. It's going to be March Mania. In anticipation of WrestleMania 40 coming along, we originally thought of doing 40 Manias, 40 matches. <laughs> yeah, that got shot down very quickly. Yeah, and to be honest, the way that we've set our recording schedule, we're going to be fight- <laughs> racing against time with the uh, undetermined amount of matches we've got to cover at this point. So we won't specify everything other than to say that our first match in that series will be uploaded on the 29th of February. Damn you, Gregorian calendars. (laughs) And it's going to be us talking to the wrestling writer and journalist. Well, I guess journalists are writers, so that's tautology. But whatever. We're talking with John Lister about WrestleMania 3's main event of Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. To give you guys a sneak preview, it's a match I hadn't watched 
in its entirety prior to the episode. So you'll hear my like literal first impressions in this format. So just just a little teaser. Is it much of an exclusive to reveal that you didn't know much about anything before the? <laughs> You could you could just leave it, could you? You have no self-discipline when it comes to those. <laughs> but what I do have is a desire to end this recording. So Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with exercises that you can do in order to improve your organizational and curiosity skills, how can they do so? People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I am so known as Simon Cross Free, free for the number of times that Lorcan's barbs cut me deep per recording these days. <laughs> My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, which are the third and fourth letters, but turn them around of finale. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. Lntyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you, Kazuchika Okada. Thank you, Hiroshi Tanahashi, for allowing us the joy that we were able to rerun the rivalry.